Hi again, everybody. Welcome into localjobnetwork.com radio. I'm Tim Muma, and this is Management Decisions, our look at the topics central to employers and upper management, for example, building up a world-class team. And that's exactly what we're examining with this episode, as talented individuals who fit well together and within the organization are extremely vital to sustained success. And if we're going to get the best insight, we need someone who's been able to do just that. So today we've called upon Eric Persia, co-founder of Mosey, and an individual with experience grabbing that top talent from some recognizable companies. Eric, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, let's start off, if you could, and talk about a little bit of your experience in building the idea of a world-class team and sort of where you've been with that. To give a little bit of a perspective and and context on my background and my career and how that plays into um, how I've built teams in, in the past sort of been all, all over the place. I worked in consulting and big data for a while. I built teams here in the, in the United States. I've built a, a team and ran an office in Mumbai, India. I built a team of folks working on more of a social venture in Dar es Salaam in Tanzania and Africa. And then most recently worked with a group of folks to build the team around Mosey. And I think actually the best story that connects to the Mosey piece is Mosey came out of uh, my graduate program, which was a a program called an MBA in design strategy at California College of the Arts based in San Francisco. I'll never forget sitting down the first day in our innovation studio class, and we were going around the horn. Everyone was introducing themselves, and I found myself taking notes on every single person uh, that was in the classroom and just sort of jotting down who they were, what they did, that sort of stuff. And as I expected, as soon as we were done, uh, the professor said, okay, get up, pick your teams. Mm. And I had earmarked and starred four people in the classroom that I wanted to work with on our first first project. And I ran around and grabbed and, and huddled them <laughs> up. And, and I really did that based on you know, skills and abilities that I didn't have okay. that I knew would be, would be required for what we'd want to do. And I think the reason why it's interesting is that of the four people I grabbed, two of them ended up founding Mosey with me. It was actually a project that came out of my graduate thesis project. We definitely built the team out of a very autonomous skill set where we did overlap in culture and, and vision, but we didn't necessarily overlap in, in very specific skills, which is something I think is really important in building a team. Yeah, it definitely is interesting that you said uh, you, know, you had that foresight right from the beginning to see how you guys would fit together and the meshing of having uh, similar cultures and in that area, but the skill set being different. And we'll touch on that as we move forward a little bit. I wanted to start off in terms of what we hear a lot from employers. You might read about a lot is that, you know, there's, there's just not this high quality talent out there that we're missing people. Candidates are difficult to find. They don't match what we're looking for. And then I hear arguments that employers are simply doing a poor job of recognizing these. Where do you stand in terms of the available talent and what's out there and how these organizations could possibly be building their teams? Well, I think it's a little bit, bit of both, uh, to be perfectly honest. And I think part of the, the problem is that typically now the, the roles that, that we're trying to recruit for, at least that I have been always trying to rec- recruit for, there aren't always necessarily backgrounds that match those roles. I okay. think the world around us changes at such a rapid pace. One thing that I always like to, to look for, for people around is this concept, which I call comfort and ambiguity. And essentially, it's, it's someone who can punch through the clutter 
that can deal with not knowing what the future is and can manage their way through that really effectively. Hmm. You know, how do you search for that? Right. How do you, there's no nothing you can type into any of the databases to essentially find that. But I think that is something that it's hard to identify when looking for high-quality talent. It's also hard to, to recruit for if you are an employer. I wouldn't say that there's any more or less high-quality talent that, that's out there right now, and I wouldn't say that anyone's doing better or worse job finding it. I just think the game is changing much quicker than it has in the past. You mentioned there a little bit, but in terms of finding that initial basis that you want to find as far as these candidates go, and where do you start? How do you even start beginning to think of, you know, these are the types of people I want, or this is what I'm looking for? Uh, some of the questions people ask about is, well, there are a lot of people that aren't looking for jobs, but those might be the ones that you want to hire. Where does it all begin in your mind as far as being able to create this team? Yeah, I think this is definitely the importance of building and having a great network. Mm, sure. So I think for me, this always starts off with personal connections. You know, I might run through my LinkedIn list of folks I'm connected to and really look for people that I might have a very personal connection with, or I'd, I'd reach out to people who might have some insight or have some connections in, in a field or a, or a industry area that I'm looking for and just start to poke around and see if there's anyone I should start talking with. And actually, when we were starting Mosey, I actually liken finding candidates like this very similarly to how I looked for and identified and found our initial investors. And you know, basically what I did is I, I said, who are the investors we want? I, mm -hmm. built, I built some variables that identified whether or not they were in our stage of investment, in our area, um, all these different things. And then that allowed me to build a list of 500 different people I was going to look at. Okay. I ran that list of 500 people through um, LinkedIn and found how I was connected to them. Hmm. And it's never that first level connection that necessarily um, results in success, but it's usually that first level connection that says, hey, okay, well, I see what you're trying to do here um, looking for this type of person, but what I would suggest is you should talk to these three people, and they really narrow you in on those individuals that will be best suited for the role that okay. you're trying to, to hire for. And unfortunately, that's just a lot of work. Um, <laughs> but if you're looking for the best people, you have to put in the work in order to get them. Another thing that I will say that goes beyond the personal connection that I would say has worked for me personally. So we, you know, we would typically work with recruiters or headhunters or that, uh, those types of folks to narrow in or essentially identify the people that we're trying to find. So, you know, there's hundreds, thousands of people that could potentially fill a role. Who are the 50 that we want to at least start with, right? Right. And I think the thing that worked a lot for me is I, as the this co-founder and CEO at Mosey, would personally reach out to them. Hmm. It would come from okay. my email. It was an email that I would personally write. And the response rate that I got on that stuff, because it was coming from the leader of the organization, I think was much higher than you would get if the rest of that process was, was managed by a recruiter. And at the end of the day, it worked out for us because we found a balance for how we worked with that system where um, we could reach out and really have a one-to-one a, a -one conversation with folks we were looking to recruit. 
I think that's definitely an interesting point. You mentioned, you know, where that contact is coming from. As you said, if it's actually one of the leaders within the organization, how much of an impact they can have. So hopefully those listening can understand and appreciate that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as I kind of mentioned before, sometimes people aren't necessarily looking to move into a new position, but you as an organization might want to reach out to them. You might want to bring them in because they have a proven ability to do exactly what you're looking for. How do you toll that line as far as selling and pitching your company to them without, again, coming across as being a little desperate or needy or in some way turning them off to the idea of working for your company? I think the idea that people are comfortable or or happy where they are, there's always, like they say, even if someone says something's for for sale, there's always a a price that makes it for sale. Right. And I think for finding top talent and finding the folks you want to work with, I don't think that that is typically monetary, especially if they are happy where they are or connected to what they're doing. Just like you're pitching your company to an investor or to a customer or to whomever, you have to do that same job when you're trying to find talent to work with you. And really, that job is in pitching the vision of the company and where that company is going, the big problem that they're trying to solve. Why do you wake up in the morning every day and get excited to go to work? And why would they um, wake up every morning and get excited to go to work? And then sort of the underlying sweetness of that goes beyond that is really tapping into then selling the culture of the people who are working on that problem. So why is it that they would want to come and work work on this problem, but also who are the type of people they would work with and what are the, what is the culture you've built at that organization that they would essentially tap into. And I think those two things like vision and culture, mm-hmm. if you can't sell people on, on that, then I think you have, you have a much bigger problem, to be perfectly honest. And I was going to ask, is that one of the mistakes that organizations often make is maybe not even having an understanding of what their vision is like or what they can offer from a cultural standpoint? Well, I, th- I think that they because they're a part of it, they frequently undersell their, they undersell it themselves. You know, it's sort of like when you're in it, you don't understand the value of it. But when you look at it from the outside to someone else, um, there is a lot of value in it. And not every vision is for every single person. And I think that's a really important thing about selling the vision. You, when you sell a vision and not a, a salary or a position, you find people who either say, you want to know what, I'm not connected to that vision, which is better for you to know before you, you start offering them a salary and, and, and a role. But when you find the person that's like truly connected to that, to that vision, like it, their heart is in it um, 100% completely. It may be that a lot of folks haven't fully understood how to articulate that vision for, for their company or how to articulate the importance of their culture. But I think it's an important thing to figure out how to do it. You alluded to this a little bit earlier, actually, when you started talking about the idea of possibly having some balance when it comes to your team versus having a lot of similarities. And I can see there being difficulty trying to figure out where you told that line. How do you determine what you're looking for in terms of skills and personality, which you could you know, look at that as being the cultural side? How much of it do you want to have that cohesiveness and how much do you want to be making sure that there's that diverse aspect to your team? I think diversity is the key. I think diversity from roles, backgrounds, culture, everything is, is really important. And I may, I may be, I may not essentially be part of the majority in this, but I think that when everybody's getting along, that's when I, that's when I start to be a little more concerned. <laughs> 
And I say that because I feel like when you have people who are agreeing on everything and seeing everything the same way, there's a certain amount of efficiency in that. But I think there's a lot of value in harnessing sort of the contested nature of different viewpoints. I sort of refer to it as like those disagreements and and those counteracting views are like this energy. And when you can harness the energy in the passion of the people who have those different perspectives, what comes out the other side, as long as the process is managed well, is 10 times better than if everyone says, oh, well, I'm thinking of going this way with our marketing. Everyone's like, yep, mm-hmm, I agree. Great, great, great. Right. You sort of get in this groupthink um, perspective. Now, on both sides of it, whenever it's mismanaged, it ends up in a poor, a poor place. So if it's everyone is disagreeing about everything and it's managed improperly, well, then you end up getting nowhere fast. But if everyone thinks along the same line and, and it's sort of this groupthink mentality, you end up going in a really, you know, you don't end up challenging anyone. You, don't, you just end up going in a really boring place very consistently. So I think the key is to have people who have different perspectives. They get along on a higher level. But at the end of the day, they they enjoy the fact that they're challenged by the people they come to work with, and they enjoy the fact that they all have different perspectives, and and they use that in a very positive way. And I like that you differentiated the fact that no matter which way it goes, the management side of it's going to be important. But all things considered, you prefer a little bit of that conflict and the clashing of ideas, because in the end, it's going to benefit everybody. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think... A lot of my context for what I'm saying, you know, today and answering your questions are obviously from starting a, a technology company um, he, here in the Bay Area. So that context, I guess, needs to be layered over the top of this. But those things are especially important when it's the first five people, mm-hmm. right? If you are over-indexed in any skill set or in any area, you can really see it in how the company moves forward in the first nine months to 18, 18 months. So those challenging perspectives, those challenging skill sets really start to balance out a product and a company very early on, and, and then they will hopefully be embedded in the culture over the course of, of, of the long run. Another thing I wanted to ask about, and a lot of times you'll see this because it's more visible in sports, but again, in building a team, even with any type of industry, is you see this idea that no matter what someone's attitude or behavior is, that if their talent is is great enough and their experience is great enough, that there's some leeway there and you'll still bring them on to be a part of that team because they bring so much value from the actual execution side of things. Of course, the question that comes up is, well, their behavior, their personality, how does that negatively impact the team? Where do you stand in terms of bringing someone in like that? And if at some point talent does trump the behavior or trump the cultural side? I think the nexus of that question or this problem really lies in defining what behavior is. So there is obviously destructive attitude, destructive behavior that would be defined as as bad or poor behavior. But then there's also this, you know, idea that not every decision, not every move by someone is going to be reflected as a positive thing across the organization. And a lot of times that comes with people needing to make hard decisions or people needing to deciding that the status quo for what their division or their area or their part of the company is doing, the status quo isn't good enough. And they need to make strong changes in order to to move the business in the direction they think it should go. So how you define bad or poor behavior helps you understand 
how to look at th- at this problem. I would say that just because someone doesn't like the way someone is doing something doesn't mean it's bad behavior. Mm-hmm. And I think really what should be measured is the outcome from that individual. Now, it doesn't mean that someone should be able to act in a way that is is totally unnecessary in order to get something done and that that should be approved within the organization. I guess, as you can see, what I'm getting at is this is a really, it's a really hard question to give a very direct (laughs) answer to. Um, Sure. You give the sports analogy, and I would say I'm a little more Green Bay Packers than I am Dallas Cowboys when it comes to this. Makes sense to us. (laughs) (laughs) I would say you can always find people who behave professionally and behave well in an organization, but also make difficult decisions and may not always keep everyone happy, but really act in an incredibly professional and uh, emotionally mature way. And there's no reason for you to deal with anything other than that. And as you said, it is extremely difficult to answer that in a general way. And we understand that with a lot of these things that we're talking about, we're speaking in generalities and you're giving us some tips and insight. Uh, But of course, every situation is going to be unique, but hopefully this kind of creates some kind of baseline for those that are listening. We are getting close here to our time, but I wanted to give you the last chance here to say you're talking to a group of individuals who are looking to bring in that top talent or create that world-class team as we've been talking about. What would you throw out there as your best piece of advice, whether it's in terms of starting up this process or what you think a key to their success would be? What would you give them here to wrap up the show? One thing that I've been working with a lot in my mind um, recently is that We've entered into this age where people, employees, can no longer build their career or their reputation off the back of of large organizations. And I think that's both important for people looking for jobs and also for people who are looking to hire people into jobs. So when you're looking for for a job or when you're building your own career and your success over the course of time, you need to think about how do you build your reputation separate from the organization or the corporation that you're you're working for? And I think additionally, uh, as someone looking to hire top talent, how do you provide people with the ability to do that while also harnessing their talent and everything they do within the organization? Both of those are incredibly tough to think through and to execute, but I think they are incredibly important in in our current moment and will be even more important over the course of the next 5 to 10 to 15 years. Well, that will do it for us here on this edition of Management Decisions. Eric, thanks again for coming on, sharing some of your experiences and your insight into this topic. We do appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Once again, that is Eric Persia, co-founder of Mosey. You can check them out online. That's M-O-S-E-Y. If you have any feedback for this show or any of ours, you can send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter. Find us at the LJN. For everyone here at LJN Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.